from APM. This is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. College was once considered the path of upward mobility in this country, and for many people it still is. But research shows that the higher education system can actually work against poor and minority students because they often end up at colleges that have few resources and have low graduation rates. Many of these students are black and Latino. Our colleagues at the Heckinger Report, a nonprofit education news service, have been looking at why low-income and minority students are underrepresented at the nation's top colleges and universities. The Heckinger Report's ongoing series is called Divided We Learn. I spoke recently with Editor-in-Chief Liz Willen. Well, we've been interested in these issues for a very, very long time, but a lot of this came from when we started looking at recent data, and we saw that the people who were coming to college campuses were increasingly those with more money, and that colleges were becoming more and more the purview of those who could afford it. Um, While that has always been the case, um, we found recently that there's a drop in the proportion of low-income high school graduates enrolled in college. They fell from 56% in 2008 to 46% in 2013. That's a pretty big and growing gap. You call it a caste system. Yes, um, and increasingly that's what we're seeing. And uh, we've also been trying deeply to focus on solutions and the folks who are working really hard to change this. And there's no shortage of them, but we've got a big problem in this country because college expenses are, are only going up. Colleges can only raise revenue through tuition for the most part and um, gifts. They don't have enough financial aid to go around. And, you know, we spend time with some admissions officers who really truly want to do something about this problem, but they acknowledge that it would create financial ruin and there's just simply not enough aid. Is the caste system, I would assume, uh, a greater problem or a greater issue at uh, more selective colleges? Absolutely. Although, interestingly enough, our research found it's a huge problem at flagship uh, public universities whose very mission is supposed to be uh, much more inclusive. Five percent of students, by the way, at the nation's flagship public universities are black. Um, and so there was, we found both racial gaps and economic gaps. This is a problem that cuts across both both of those issues greatly. But we for sure have found um, that this is also coming out as a more important issue to students on campuses as well. Um, You've probably seen this with the demands of students at Yale and elsewhere that their their campuses be more diverse. So there's a lot of dramatic unrest sweeping campuses from coast to coast. Um, And to us, it just points points to the need for a real discussion on what we can do to sort of equalize the playing field, make minorities feel more comfortable on college campuses, get them there, and um, also to examine why this caste system is continuing to grow and why the um, equity gap is getting wider on college campuses. Where do the majority of low-income students in America go to college? Community colleges. You will almost always find them at, at the universities that have don't have the sort of resources and graduation rates that you see at both at the flagship public universities and at the elite four-year schools. Um, the vast majority do attend community colleges. Um, you know, there's some colleges that have been doing a great job in trying to both at- attract retain and help come up with scholarships 
for low-income students, and, and those are sort of bright spots in our reporting, but the answer to your question is absolutely they're most likely to be found at, at community colleges and increasingly over the last few years also at some of the online um, schools where they end up in great debt, which has been a very big problem. You say the flagship and the selective uh, four-year schools have uh, a declining number of low-income and minority students going there. They have uh, an even lower number, I, I think I'm right on this, an even lower number of students transferring in from community colleges. Yeah, there's some new research on that, actually. Um, they do, um, and there's a great deal of effort to try and um, change this. It's a, it's a horrible word, but they use something called the articulation agreements. There's been a big push to try and get some of the four-year schools to work more closely with the community colleges to let them in. And one of the reasons often is because the students at community colleges get stuck in remedial education and they leave and they don't even have the ability to make it through to, to do the transfer. Um, but we have found some new hope in this area. There was some new research published by the Community College Research Center showing that low-income students who transfer from community colleges to four-year colleges, while they're less likely to get a degree than their wealthier peers, um, it really does depend by state and by college. So it's not just about um, demographics. Now, some colleges, some selective colleges have adopted what are called need-blind admissions policies, meaning they don't consider a student's financial situation during the admissions process. And I think a lot of listeners would be surprised to know that that ever was a consideration. How common is it for colleges to consider a student's ability to pay as a mark uh, against him or her? I think far more common than those um, colleges would like. Um, in many conversations with admissions officers over the years, there is um, a great desire to want to be able to have need-blind admissions, but very, very few colleges can afford it. Um, you have to have a large endowment. So first of all, that's only the purview of colleges that do have a large endowment, um, some of the Ivy Leagues, for example. But one little bright spot we found was um, Hamilton College in upstate New York um, definitely has had a big push by alumni who said, you know what, this is really important to us, and they've helped them raise money so that the college could stay need-blind, and, and that's made a very big difference in, in bringing in a more diverse class. But it requires um, a lot of uh, buy-in, a lot of financial aid, a president who makes that a priority, and a lot of schools would like to be able to do it, but they, but they say that they can't afford it. One of the things your Divided We Learn project points out is that some states are actually moving college scholarship money away from the poor to the wealthy and the middle class. That would seem counterintuitive. Why is it happening? It does, and that's something that colleges will tell you they have to do to compete for the best students, and it's becoming quite controversial. Now, these kinds of stories, by the way, also um, anger people. I had a lot of comments in one of our pieces that saying, well, you know what? We, um, we, we want money for the middle class because the middle class also is having a very hard time affording current college prices. So um, there's a feeling from some people that, you know what, we deserve this kind of merit aid, and there's no sympathy for scholarship and aid monies only going to minority students and low-income students because the middle class is feeling really, really strapped by um, increasing college costs. And that's understandable, but the what's called sort of like an arms race for the best students um, creates this sense where colleges sort of have to compete with each other to they say, to attract the best students, and they, they come up with these honors colleges and big scholarship offers. But I have seen, you know, 
students and children who come from very wealthy families be offered $25,000, $35,000 a year in merit because they've done so well um, academically. But that is it is controversial because that is money that could be used towards families who wouldn't be able to afford going to college at all with, without help. One of the comments on your series said, uh, in addition to the, the, the problems that you are highlighting, that one key issue is that the existing institutions that serve poor and minority students, namely the community colleges and the state college systems, they need improvement. They need to be invested in. Well, that's a really good point. And both the state colleges and community colleges will tell you that investment in higher education has fallen over the years. State legislatures have not been able to give their share. Um, They have not recovered from economic crises of the last 10 years or so. And um, as a result, once again, they find themselves with only one way to raise revenue, tuition. And that leaves a really big gap in a lot of their budgets. They raise tuition. They anger many people, but they also can't offer as many programs and um, as many ways to help students once they get there. Think kinds of programs like first-year programs and um, special orientations for first for minority and, and first generation and their families to go to college, um, resources, tutoring, ways to keep students there and get them to graduation. So they they have less money. They raise tuition. No matter what they do, they're going to face problems on both ends of it, and it, it's a it's a really tough conversation. This Divided We Learn project includes a solicitation of opinions from and discussion among uh, your readers. And what are you hoping to do with that? What what do you want to accomplish? I welcome op-eds, ideas, um, submissions of of things that have worked in some colleges all over America. Our feeling here at the Heckinger Report is that we want to emphasize solutions and be part of the solutions as well. It's important to have um, a wide variety of views and opinions and examine what's working. We, we spend a lot of time talking about what doesn't work and identifying the problems and um, giving you the data and the reporting that illuminates the problem. But by hearing from provosts and presidents and students and teachers and faculty and researchers and policymakers about how they think we can solve this problem, I think we'll all do a much better job of thinking about where the best practices are, what, what, can, be, what can be replicated, what can be scaled. So we're really looking forward to a wide variety of voices. Well, Liz Willen, thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Stay warm. <laughs> Liz Willen is editor-in-chief at the Heckinger Report, a nonprofit education news service. A note of disclosure, Heckinger and American Radio Works are both funded in part by the Lumina Foundation. You can find a link to Heckinger's Divided We Learn series at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. There you'll also find more podcasts about issues in higher education and K-12 education. And while you're there, you can browse the archive of more than 100 documentary projects. We'd also love to hear what this podcast made you think about, whether you will share it with others, and to change your ideas about inequality in higher education. Let us know at AmericanRadioWorks.org. Click on the About page and scroll down to Share Your Impact Story. We are on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and on Twitter at AM RadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Spencer Foundation, Lumina Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.